you're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong. I'm Rich. I'm Henry. Hi, Rich. How are you, mate? Not too bad, thanks. Yeah, we're recording on a Friday. We are, uh, but I'm not drinking yet. What? Well, actually, what have you got in front of you? What's your What's your source? I have a glass of water because last night I did a big beer tasting thing with friends and I'm still not quite over it. I, I'm on the upswing and I'm meeting friends for a drink in about an hour and a half. But yeah, I'm not I'm not quite ready for a beer yet. What are you what are you into? Look at this stuff. For, for oh, those wow. of you <laughs> You've got <laughs> hardcore as well. We are, we are sharing over the wonders of the internet um a, a massive pint of water for me too. Um, just because I need to rehydrate. Simple as that. I just assumed that that was a pint of gin. No, well, yeah, actually tempting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got to actually go and go and get a takeaway later on today. So probably uh, not a good idea to be ginning at this time. Anyway, fair we're, enough. We're digressing. Let's talk some. <laughs> um, let's talk some music. And it's your turn this week. It is. And I've gone with one that I'm surprised I hadn't thought of sooner. But then I realised that I probably haven't listened to this much over the last decade. It's Milo, Destroy Rock and Roll. Milo, Destroy Rock and Roll. With that album cover, which is quite eye-catching. It is. With just the white background, black letters, all in a grid with Milo's face in pink in the background. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a... I wouldn't say iconic because I don't know that he was ever quite big enough as an artist to be for it to be an iconic cover but it's a very distinctive cover yeah agree and i think that's something that i always like it's something that if you caught it out of the corner of your eye you'd instantly recognize it and then probably want to listen to it yeah or i would anyway so milo's one guy yeah well actually you can you can tell me more because you said let's do milo and you know what i'd never really thought about him I, I didn't know anything about him or them or whoever it was and I just assumed it was a west coast US DJ guy I kind of assumed he was American just because of the type of music that he's recorded and so I just didn't I, I just assumed yeah west coast American DJ that's it but he's not tell me about him he isn't although we'll come on to the musical style and I completely agree with you there's a lot of key elements to the music that would make you think that and I I don't know that I felt the same because I don't know that I really ever thought about where's this guy from but you're absolutely spot on on that so Milo is actually aka Miles McInnes born 10th of May 1978 and is a Scottish electronic musician and record producer there we go while that doesn't scream Americana in and of itself he's a really interesting guy from the perspective of how he ended up making this record so he's obviously a massive i mean brain boxes sounds like an insult but it's really not in this case he studied an array of maths psychology philosophy and physiology at uni first edinburgh and then oxford got a first class degree at oxford so obviously a pretty smart guy and then started a phd in philosophy at ucla out in California, so University of California, Los Angeles. And he did, I think, a year or so of that, but 
also did this big American road trip and spent a lot of time in LA exploring music scenes, listening to Americana and American music, uh. hence all of those types of influences from a an electronica and a dance perspective of that West Coast sound. Got it. But there's more than that as well. He grew up in the Isle of Skye, and in Skye in the 80s and 90s, you could really only get Atlantic 252, which was a station that played a lot of 70s and 80s soft rock because that was just their style. And you couldn't really get anything else out there because there just weren't transmitters that would work that far away, and the internet didn't exist at that point, so you couldn't just you know, stream whatever radio station you wanted to stream. So there's all these different things that are all sort of coming together and colliding. And what is really fascinating is that he'd never really made any music until he quit his PhD, having decided he should be making music, at which point he went back to Sky and started creating this music on, basically on a computer in his bedroom. Wow, that's great. That's a cool story. Yeah, it just seems like an incredibly crazy risk to make. But actually, you listen to the music he's produced, and it is is fantastic. Yeah, it's... um. Well, the first word that popped into my head was thoughtful. I'm not quite sure that's 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 spot on, but it's very it's very well executed. Mm-hmm. It's not like actually. Before we get into the, the real detail, what is his music like? Where would you plonk <laughs> his style? Okay, so I had to think about this because it's an odd intersection of things. So it's first and foremost electronica. Stylistically, it's in the ballpark of ambient house. So it's fairly chilled. There's lots of samples. There's synths and electro beats. But then it weaves in all this 80s synth and soft rock and guitarzy stuff into the mix. And actually, a lot of the music that is in this and the samples that are in this are 70s and 80s soft rock staples from his childhood. Right. Which kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of artists that I would compare this work to, a lot of the articles that you read sort of throw in Groove Armada. They talk about French dance, particularly Daft Punk. and Basement Jacks. Yeah, maybe like a chilled out Basement Jacks. Yeah. And then you've got Royksop, who weren't necessarily name checked specifically, but for my musical taste, I think that's a really close match for yeah. a number of tracks on this album. That's fair. I would agree with that. Yeah. Daft Punk being mentioned is also quite fun because there's a quote from him when he talked about quitting his PhD where he says, I was beginning to think I should really be doing music and I was kind of aware that when Daft Punk or whoever were my age, they'd already made their first album. I mean, I was only 22, but I just felt it was time to get on with it. That's (laughs) cool. It's hilarious. So he's definitely had something, this kind of, this undercurrent in his life of, this is something I kind of need to do, which is which is awesome that he's actually gone and done it because a lot of people probably have this, you know, talents like this, which just linger and they think, should I, shouldn't I? And then you get into the nine to five and you never get a chance to. So good on him for for doing it. Right. And I guess that's the perfect time when you can go back to your parents, sit in your bedroom. You know, he had an old G4 Mac, I think that he made this on and a keyboard and a sampler and, and just, very base equipment that you would need for making this type of electronic music. But one of the things that's really amazing is 
you sort of alluded to this the thoughtfulness for me comes through in the way it's crafted and constructive so there's all these lovely little touches it never gets boring because there's these wonderful moments that almost throw away but they add to the tapestry of samples that are being woven together so guilty of love's a great example of this it grabs a sample from the start of guilty by jaws duke and then where the duke track has a sexy 80s ow there's a little electronic warble in there and it's almost this tongue-in-cheek nod to anyone who knows the original song and is expecting that next to throw this almost understated thing in there and I love the tongue-in-cheekness. And he also sprinkles in some of Prince's Kiss, which is incredible that they managed to get clearance for things like that to be sampled. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll go through the tracks in a minute, but the, the, the album is full of samples and the main tracks on there sample either classic tracks or in some ways have revived songs which weren't that well-known, but almost brought them into the mainstream. So... He's, uh, he's done, a, done a cracking job. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It, and songs that would have been well-known in the 70s and 80s that just sort of got lost because internet culture didn't exist to keep recycling and reviving these things. Yeah. Well, one of my notes was for Paris 400. And the first thing I wrote was, what's the sample? And I was like, I assumed it was something <laughs> and I couldn't work it out. And I've done this with a few of the songs on this album. It's like, where where has he got this from? Who are these bands? What's he? What is he digging into? Did you find out what the sample for that was? Uh, I have a blank next to my Paris 400 <laughs> note. Okay, because I didn't pick Paris 400 as a specific track, so I don't know what the samples are for that. But I've got a bunch of tracks that I'm very excited to talk about where I, I pulled out the samples for those. One other thing I want to mention about the music here is... One of the things that I love about this album, or one of the things that I realised going back and listening to it that I love about this album, is that it is cheerfully upbeat to a fault. It's never sad and a bit miserable or anything like that. Everything is airy, everything's joyful, everything's... There's sometimes a hint of irony in that cheerfulness, but it's always, always unfailingly happy music and i love it for that it's the kind of thing you can imagine driving around america with beautiful sunny days you know in a drop top sports car listening to this kind of music yeah there are a number of tracks on here which i've walked into pubs or bars or nightclubs even and these songs have come on and you kind of can't help but start nodding your head and going yeah night out we and and just because this music is so upbeat. Yeah. And it was interesting at the time because it came out to slightly mixed reviews. So a lot of outlets raved about it. The independent Q and Pitchfork interestingly loved it, which I think is fascinating because it's the kind of thing that I could see Pitchfork mm. sort of being down on for the cheesy 70s soft rock parts of it. But their review actually mentions... And I quote, there's a total gut level joy. And I totally agree with that. All music rated it highly as well. But The Guardian and Slant gave it two and two and a half stars, respectively. And both of them sort of suggested it was lightweight and badly conceived and not really the full thing of what it could have been. Interesting. I I think that's a bit, it's a bit harsh. It, I can understand it. It could be thought of as lightweight in that it doesn't have a huge amount of depth. Like if you're when we when we did um, 
Air, for example, when we reviewed Moon Safari, that album's got depth and layers and all sorts of really interesting intricacies floating around in there. And this doesn't. It is a bit simpler. But at the same time, I think it's a bit harsh to give it a, a two and a half stars. I agree. And so does Elton John, who declared that every home in the UK should own a copy. Well, who are we to argue? Oh, do we, we've, ne- we've not done an Elton John. I was really that close to doing <laughs> Goodbye Yellow Brick Road for a podcast. Maybe it'll come up soon. You've just got kind of pinged into my head that we should do this. <laughs> it's a good point. I hadn't considered doing any Elton John, but it's ridiculous that we haven't yet. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, one for next time. Yeah. Right. So should we go into the album? We should. And I want to start at the start with Sun Worshipper, which I bloody love. It's just a super blissed out track. It again feels like Californian sunshine. And that's backed up by this mention of Eureka, California, and this guy talking about almost finding himself and finding this like hippie lifestyle. And it, it feels very earnest but also a little bit tongue-in-cheek with that yeah well and, and this is the point where he's he's done a clever job of transposing the musical style completely to to the states and to california just dropping in those vocals it's it's a bit like the way Fatboy slim did it actually he's done exactly the same thing you're not from brighton he's tried to fake the world into thinking that he's a an american dj so yeah it, it's a lovely start and then obviously you know you've got a track next to it called muscle cars You've got to be in the States. <laughs> Absolutely. Muscle Cars is the one that triggered, oh, this is Roiksop in my mind. There's yeah. a number of core elements in the, the synths and in the flute in particular, that sort of flute flourish that they have throughout this track. And the beats are very Roiksoppy in terms of the way they're set up. It could easily be on Melody AM and no one would question that this yeah. wasn't a Roiksop track. Do you want to go on to the big one? I do want to go on to the big one. Well, I'm going to group this with another version of this track that's not on the album but was released separately. So Drop the Pressure and Doctor Pressure. Yep. So Drop the Pressure is the one that's on the album. And this is one vocal line on here that was actually recorded by Milo himself. So this is actually his voice rather than this being a sample. Okay. It's his voice put through a vocoder... And then he messes around with the pitch of the vocal all over the place, which he referred to as, and I quote here, quite an unsubtle piss take of vocoder music. Right. <laughs> Someone's got to take the piss out of it. Yeah. And I like this as a track anyway. I think, I mean, it's just a brilliant, fun track. And you've mentioned head bopping, going into a bar and hearing a Milo track. I'm assuming you're thinking of this one. Yeah. Um, well, it's Dr. Beat, isn't it? From Miami Sound Machine. And it's... Just got this brilliant, clean bass riff that just plonks into your head very well. Yeah, so that's the Doctor Pressure version. This was sort of created as a a bootleg, which was a big thing in that 2000 to 2010 of people taking tracks and bootlegging them together and then that being picked up by club DJs and played in places and then becoming big all of a sudden and becoming their own thing. So a guy called Phil and Dog did it as a remix, and then Milo got hold of it, did some remastering and tweaking, and then it got released as a single. And I believe that was with Miami Sound Machine's blessing. They they were on board with the concept, and it works really well. I absolutely love this track. It's one that I don't actually think is on Spotify, which is really annoying. 
unless I've missed it somewhere. I think it's it seems to have been wiped from the Spotify annals, but I'll see if I can find a YouTube link yeah. for a copy for people to listen to. As I think I think there was a I think there was a video that goes along with the single, so hopefully it's on YouTube somewhere. Yeah. It's it's one of the more well-known songs and it's a, it's a classic kind of Milo track, but obviously it's followed by In My Arms, which is another classic track. Yep. <laughs> Well, you have to call this one out because of the use of Kim Khan's Betty Davis Eyes as the sample for the melody, which is itself a belter of a track. And then that is alongside Boy Meets Girls waiting for a star to fall for the vocal In My Arms, Baby, yeah? Ah, I was trying to work out where I'd heard that one from because, yeah, I didn't put two and two together. But going back to the first one, Betty Davis Eyes... If you sample that and can't make a good song out of it, you're in the wrong industry. Get out of music. <laughs> it's one of the greatest songs ever. Just so well well done to Milo for not screwing that one up. Yeah, and I cannot take any credit for recognising these samples myself. I obviously knew that one and I knew a couple of the others, but whosampled.com is a brilliant, brilliant resource for getting hold of what's been sampled, who, by, and where. They've got as far as I can tell, almost every song, unless it's really obscure, is in there. And you can click the track that's been sampled. They have usually have a YouTube link and you can click on that and it will jump you to where the sample is. So Quality. it's a great resource for finding out stuff like this. Right. That's uh, noted. I'll go and check that out. Yeah, In My Arms is probably another one of my favourite tracks in the album. Yeah. It's another one that's just like a happy nod your head along. Like you can see yourself singing it loudly in the in the car on the way down the M4. Yeah, exactly. And then Destroy Rock and Roll. We've got to jump to that one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is the track that caught my ear first out of all of Milo's stuff. And really? the whole thing is based on a sermon that's actually available online still. Some guys in America, I think, had found all these sermons by outrageous proper evangelical nut job Chris, christian in inverted commas uh, american religious nuts and this is one of them that milo who at the time was working for the bbc as a journalist in glasgow had heard it's called the invocation for judgment against and destruction of rock music from church universal and triumphant incorporated <laughs> the actual wow. church that it had come from this is this classic american thing of corporatizing and making it into businesses religion basically yeah. and i just love the idea that he's taken that and then run a steely dan track that's jazzed up into the back of it yeah. and then thrown some house beats in and the only thing that i'm a little bit sad about is that steely dan isn't actually name checked in the list of rock and pop acts in the track well yeah and as you say so if you don't know this the um the track it's basically this this sermon really from from the get-go is just a list of who's who of brilliant musicians through the ages it's actually in some ways it's a bit like when lcd sound system with their track losing my edge where they start yes. listing out all sorts of brilliant bands, and that's worth listening to. And in the same way, this sermon actually lists out some awesome names. The one thing that keeps making me laugh, though, is that throughout the history of recent pop and rock music, there's been kind of two camps for getting David Bowie or Bowie's name wrong. Mm-hmm. I think Bowie himself <laughs> said, it's Bowie, right? You've, it's, yeah. it's Bowie like Joey, Bowie, <laughs> not Bowie. But in the sermon, the guy manages to not do Bowie. He doesn't do Bowie. He says David Bowie. Like, right. where did that come from? 
unbelievable. Also, Cindy Looper. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, completely fucks that one as well. And it's it's wonderful. And um, one of the best things about this whole thing is. So it starts with just the sermon. So the first, I don't know, 20 seconds or so is just this guy getting into the sermon. And then he starts layering on all these little musical pieces. What's so wonderful about it is the rhythm of the sermon, the way the guy is actually delivering the sermon, works perfectly to bounce against the music. Yeah, it it does work really well. And maybe that's part of the, the sermon to bring in that kind of rhythm into the the speech but it's done very well and he's found a brilliant piece of vocal recording to to mash up and it's an absolute belter of a track as well musically regardless of the fun tongue-in-cheek poking fun at idiots thing that is in this track it's just a belter of a song yeah simple as that and i guess for me the the only downside is in my mind, the the album starts to kind of slip away after this point. It just goes a bit samey from this point on. I don't know. Have you got any other big tracks later on? I've got two more that I want to mention off the album that I really love. Ricky, partly because the way it slides out of Destroy Rock and Roll and into Ricky is a really beautiful transition. Yeah. And this is another track that just sort of keeps that rhythm I actually thought it was all part of the same track until I actually paid attention. <laughs> and again, it's not a long one, but it's it's a good track. It's a fun track. And then Otto's Journey is the other one that I think is is another good track. It's a nice outro. It's more just sunshine-laden stuff that makes me think of imaginary summer road trips that I didn't take in my uh, early 20s. Yeah, it it is that. I was going to... Is safe the right word? you know you can put this on and you can enjoy it. It's kind of, if, if someone has it in a stack of CDs and you're at a random person's house, you can put it on and no one's going to go, turn this shit off. You can't. It's <laughs> good. Right at the start, right at the end of a night, house party type situation, it's great as like background music while you're, you know, you've got some mates over for dinner or whatever in a more casual one. It's It's just, it's a good background sort of, backdrop to to what's going on and that's i don't know maybe that sounds like it's doing a disservice again we talk about easy listening but it it isn't so harsh or challenging or weird or out there that people will sort of be put off by it i'm a huge fan of musical backdrops as you said i think that's actually quite a good word for it because you come on the number of times where you've been in a i don't know in a bar at sunset somewhere and you're having a really good time with friends and then a really good song comes on in the background and you're talking and your head you one ear is trying to listen to this music because it's amazing and the other ear is listening to your mates because they're saying something funny it just builds an atmosphere and i don't think backdrop is a is a bad word actually i think it kind of captures you know a, an event yeah it's important to have things that we can you don't want every single album you listen to to be something that you have to spend a hundred percent of your energy and focus on and you can only do it in a darkened room with incredibly good headphones or really great speakers and (laughs) no one can interrupt (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's important to have albums like that but they can't all be like that yeah so we've got to the end of destroy rock and roll what was next It's almost like we discussed this beforehand. <laughs> it's cunning plan. Yeah, so this is one of the weird things about Milo as an artist is that 
he certainly got attention. He wasn't necessarily the biggest artist, you know, at the point of release here, but he was getting lots of attention, lots of radio play. He certainly got traction in the electronica scene and in the mainstream, you know, Radio 1, Radio Play and all that kind of stuff was was happening. And then he sort of just dropped off the face of the planet. So he did a load of remixes for other people's stuff. So Scissor Sisters Mary, Amy Winehouse, Fuck Me Pumps, The Killers, Somebody Told Me, Sires Breathe and Moby's Lift Me Up. And then probably the most well-known one that people actually probably will know the remix of is Kylie Minogue's number two UK hit, I Believe in You. Yeah. So there's all this stuff that's happening, but it's it's remixes of other people's and production of other people's stuff. And he did perform at the opening ceremonies of the 2014 Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, because obviously he has that link to Glasgow and Scotland generally. And then in 2016, he released some samples on his website of new upcoming music and said in interviews that the reason for the hiatus was that there had been legal reasons that he couldn't release other music. Now, this is a weird one for me because you think maybe this was tied up to all the samples that he used and not mm-hmm. getting clearance and all that kind of stuff. You could understand that that might be a thing, but that wouldn't tie someone up for a decade because normally that stuff is just somebody goes, you didn't get this cleared, and the record company goes, oh, shit, how about some money that we made out of this record to compensate you for the stuff we didn't clear? But I don't think that's likely here because he talks about going to a huge amount of effort to try and clear Toto's Salt Lake, which was on an early creation that he recorded, but it was never cleared, so they never released it as part of a single or an album release. Weird, isn't it? So I saw that on the... I saw a one-liner on one article about this legal thing that had happened, and so my my default was someone sued him, told him to cease and desist, effectively, and just can't record any music. But you're right. How could it stop you recording music under your own name doing your own stuff there's no there's no way that that would happen right and the other possibility is that he'd had a falling out with a record label and they were saying you can't release any more stuff that's not on our record label and he was saying i'm not releasing any stuff that's on your record label we've seen that kind of impasse with artists and bands and their record labels in the past i can't remember who it was it was George Michael or someone like that who recorded like three albums in about four months because he was just desperate to get out of a record contract and he had a certain number left so <laughs> I can't remember exactly who it was oh, but I remember brilliant. hearing a story years ago where it just just dropped a load of shit basically but was like there, there you go there's your albums see you later and they're all they're all rubbish but it well, was just, just like any other George Michael album. Hey, hey, Sorry, hey, I, careful. I, I, I'm going to be horrible. I, I think I think George Michael's rubbish. Maybe there we go. This is for another time. That is definitely for another time, and I'm not necessarily the right person to defend him, but I think that's harsh. Anyway, He's so but middle of the road. Could, anyway, sorry, I'll but stop. that couldn't happen because the record label that this was released on was a record label that he co-owned with some friends. So again, ah, okay. how do you have a dispute with a record label that you co-own? doesn't make any sense to me either and the other weird thing is that this was in 2016 that stuff's never been properly released as far as i can tell or find anywhere online so that's another five years having come out and gone i've got new stuff coming soon yeah i i was baffled too and i thought the the dark recesses of google would 
we dredged something up. So I was there trying every single keyword and trying to be clever with my Google searches and then I couldn't I couldn't dredge up anything. Yeah, so sadly this is the only thing that we've ever heard from him and maybe there's an element of that being a good thing because you don't know where he's going to go next, but I wouldn't necessarily want a second album that was very similar to this. You'd, you'd need him to go down a different route and evolve the sound, move things somewhere else, sample from other places to try not make it be completely samey time and time again yeah yeah i i agree and it's sometimes you just take a good album like that and that's your little masterpiece and look let's face it this guy is smart right he's got an academic Mm -hmm. career you might just want to do other things and he's he's done music with other people so i i'm sure someone with a mind like his probably is searching off into all sorts of other avenues as well not just recording another album yeah agreed yeah i mean that would make sense and i would be you know fine with that being his reason it was just just weird that the legal legal reasons undisclosed legal reasons comes up yeah strange one. fishy anyway if we ever find out we'll put it on the podcast as a little press release <laughs> yeah um so Moving on then from from his future is onto your interaction with Milo. Ever bumped into him? I don't know how much touring he did for this album. I guess there was some, but I didn't see him live when when this was out and about. I don't know if you managed to pick him up at a gig or a festival. To be honest, I can't even remember ever seeing a gig or a festival with his name on it. Maybe I don't operate in those circles of that kind of music. Yeah, um, maybe it's more festival and gigs that he hasn't been at but no not been a thing for me no and again i think it would be a fun thing to experience at a festival maybe late night at one of the european festivals or you know a sunset set somewhere but i don't see that happening anytime soon yeah you could you could definitely imagine him on a on a stage in ibiza or something exactly and doing a big old set with all of that shenanigans going on yep feels a bit a bit like his kind of style so what about influences i don't know that i think of this as a an influential album in terms of it changing my tastes because all of the elements were already there with a lot of the stuff that i'd been listening to that we've talked about previously like air and royksop yeah this to me is just a beautiful fun joyous thing in the middle of the mid-aughts that was that was lovely and wonderful and i think People might have forgotten about it, so having a reminder or people that never discovered it in the first place might really enjoy it. Yeah, well, that's exactly how I describe it. It's this little self-contained entity in itself. And in some ways, the, the artwork, the music, it's just a little package of wonderful kind of clever dance music, which I'm really happy exists because I'm not dying for another Milo album, but this one is a kind of good, you know you've got it in your back pocket. I think the two things that make this stand out for me are what you've mentioned before. If you hear it in a bar, your ears instantly prick up and it makes you smile. And two, this is an album that I've gone back to over the years. Not necessarily constantly, not necessarily every year, but it will pop up in my listening at some point. And I've really, really enjoyed listening to it over the last week or so while I've been doing the research. I agree. Yeah, and and me too. When I saw the album cover pop up on my Spotify, I was like, ah, an old friend. It's back in the room. <laughs> exactly that. So I think you've chosen really well, and I'm kind of surprised that we haven't 
had this earlier but yeah great pick good choice cool all right thanks folks cheers for joining us again we will be back soon cool cheers thank you for listening to another episode of i might be wrong 